Moffat, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Kirsty Rice. But is this where we do a lockdown joke or how, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I know. The, the, what was it? The fastest the moving lockdown of all time. Uh, yes, yeah, so three days we were in. Oh, I don't even know. Was it that long? I feel like it. I feel like it was Friday, Saturday. Yeah, I'm not sure, but maybe so. When we recorded last week, we had the discussion that there yes. had been some cases, and we you thought, oh, we we're probably going to lock down shortly, and then maybe you can give a quick ninety second synopsis on what happened next. Yes, so we finished recording. And uh, that eve, well, whatever my evening was, and then the next morning, and that's right because we were all horrified that my daughter was going to go away for the weekend and we were very surprised that that was going to happen. And uh, the next morning she came out of her room at about 10.30 and she had the big tip off that, Mum, the Premier's going to call a lockdown at midday and it's going to be for six days. And it was like, oh, Okay. And so I sort of sat there for about half an hour and thought, hmm, okay, I'll wait for the I'll wait for the Premier's, you know, press conference. Then I thought, no, no, actually I won't. I'll drive to the supermarket and I'll listen to the Premier on my headphones. And it really was, Nikki, as he was saying it, because he was saying, you know, lockdown and it was it was the most serious lockdown that we'd we'd had because we've done lockdown before but we all had to stay at our homes but we were still allowed to go for a walk or do whatever this lockdown was you are not going to leave your house we are shutting down the entire state behave yourself or you're going to be a big trouble and so as I was listening to it as I was going around the supermarket you know you start going Oh, okay, maybe maybe two things have passed. Oh, no, no, not allowed to do that. Okay, how many do you know? Um, my eldest child sent me a text immediately saying, I'm going to the booze shop. What do I get for everybody? And so it was like, good, trained her well. And, um, yeah, so off we went, you know, picked up the boys from boarding school, by that night, we were all in lockdown and, and there were lineups everywhere, you know, where everybody went and did the same thing, thinking, okay, I'm going to be at home for a week. I need supplies for a week because there was no takeaway food. There was no anything. You were going to cook for yourself, do the whole, whole thing. No Uber Eats. Shock horror. Um, so, yes, we then were in lockdown for about a day and a half until the Premier came back and went, uh, well, actually, maybe it's not as serious as we thought. And so the it, it, it I don't know how quickly to explain it, but all of our cases, Nikki, in Australia have all come from quarantine situations where someone has flown in from overseas and they've been in a quarantine hotel. And so it turns out that a security guard that worked at the quarantine hotel also was working at a pizza bar. And that all would have been fine because we were all okay with that. But then there was one of his mates that was also working in the quarantine hotel, but he pretended he wasn't working at the pizza bar. He pretended that he got COVID solely from having a pizza delivered. So that changed the whole perspective because everybody thought, my gosh, he's he's managed to catch COVID from a pizza box. 
But no, he had, of course, caught COVID from working with someone. So he was in a lot of trouble. I can tell you, Nikki, the, the Premier was not happy with him. He he was very naughty and he's in a lot of trouble. But anyway, out we came. But, it, you know, you, ha- you have both sides of that story where for those of us who had the money in the bank and the comfortable house to sit in, it was, you know, you were quite happily sitting there playing board games, watching Netflix, cooking food, doing whatever. I have other people who had a funeral of a family member cancelled. I have people who, you know, were meant to be going to weddings that weekend. The actual, the police commissioner himself had to cancel his own daughter's wedding that weekend. Um, My girlfriend who owns a catering business lost $30,000 of business just in that moment. So, you know, it it was a pretty drastic drastic lie Hmm. so yes that was us meanwhile nikki what's happening in your part of the world in hamburg what does are you in lockdown stage yet or are you getting closer by the day well i don't know what you call it because we have this intermediate stage that we're we're in and we're still in where restaurants and cafes are closed now but businesses in general are open, schools are open. So people, and then a lot of companies are doing red team, blue team or team A, team B. So you half the week in, half the week out or week week about. I, I work in a very small office, so we're all in. There's only six of us or seven of us in any day, any day. So that's fine. Two of us are in quarantine at the moment, so um, have been to different countries in the last couple of weeks. So now uh, trying out the home quarantine where you quarantine for five days, then you go and have a COVID test and then you wait for the results. And then pending the results of that COVID test, you're free to join society again. So we're in this very in-between stage that they have implemented and it is, it's turned the corner. So the top of our curve has now, Europe hit a very big second wave. For example, in Hamburg, we're at three times the rate of infections per 100,000 people that we were back when the first wave hit in March and April. But now the little line at the tippy top has turned around, it stopped going up and now it went a little bit across and now it's going a little bit down. So we feel that that has been working but we're in this constant state of you know at any stage they could say okay that's it you know everyone we're just going to have to do a week of this because Mm. we, we really need to get on top of it but what they're hoping is is that schools can stay open because that was a big priority last time schools were shut and there is no the other thing is is there is no homeschooling in Germany it is illegal so there was absolutely no systems or processes in place for learning outside the classroom and it was a huge huge i wouldn't say catastrophe for everybody but it was a very very big situation so what the schools are doing now is working very hard to try and put platforms in place so they can support kids if they're not in the classroom but try and keep them in the classroom as long as possible we have these bubbles going so we are living in this constant state of I, i looked the other day and i couldn't believe it i've been wearing a mask into supermarkets since the end of february 
So, mm. you know, that's a long time. Every time I go into a supermarket, like, I, I, you know, we do mm. the mask washing a couple of times a week because it has to be done in different temperature water, et cetera, et cetera. And I laid them all out on the weekend and I was just like, wow, we've just got so many masks. And I think, where are all the pretty ones I bought at the beginning? Like, <laughs> I can't even see them. <laughs> now they're just these horrible, oh, I mean, not horrible, but you're very serviceable, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, my kids both have to wear them all day. It's a sign of how long you've been in COVID by the, the state of your mask. If it's pretty <laughs> and sunshine and flowers, you know, probably a little bit Marimenko, then it's lovely. But if it's kind of grey and tan, you know, you've been doing cold, hard lockdown since Feb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's where we're at. So we've turned a corner, hopefully. That's what we hope. But now we've definitely turned a corner with the weather. It's three degrees today. It is so grim. It's grey and it's dark until sort of 8 o'clock and it's, you know, dark again at 4.30. So we're entering this really difficult time where now we usually have Christmas markets open, so everyone's usually buoying their spirits by grabbing a cup of glue vine mm. on the way home and we just don't have any of that. No. And the city's trying really hard. They're putting up all these lights, <laughs> which look very pretty, but it's just, you know, and every shop has a limit of number of people, so there's lines outside all the shops and you know it's okay oh, and i'm sitting time. here our listeners can't see but i'm sitting here looking at you and and i'm i'm uh wearing my lunch dress and i've put a bit of makeup on and which is very unusual usually it's the opposite way around you're going to work and you're looking you know like you're <laughs> big still going to work. <laughs> but currently i'm sitting here my husband's just popped his head in to say i've, I've turned the aircon on and nikki's sitting in the dark with a towel wrapped around her head seriously looking like she has lost her sense of humor and <laughs> It is what it is. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Nikki, we are going to have an upbeat. I'm going to make sure I make you laugh in the next 45 minutes. <laughs> it is going to be my my um, challenge, um, although it's not hard to make you laugh. That's not much of a challenge. Okay. <laughs> you are a genuinely happy person. So, Nikki, let's hit our four fat questions. Um, Nikki, what are your three favourite Christmas movies? And the reason I ask, and there is an expat tinge to this, but do any of them make you think of previous expat locations? I don't think, I don't have an expat Christmas movie because, well, I don't know why. I just haven't had an experience where that there's been a movie that's come out and it's a Christmas related that means something to me. So I'm going to have to take a pass mm. on the expat side of things. Uh, in terms of mm. favourite Christmas movies, I, I put a list and I said I would cut it down to three. So I just have to say Trading Places is one of my favourite Christmas movies. But it's quite old. And as I was saying yesterday, someone said, oh, yeah, that is good. I, rem I remember I like that movie. I said, yeah, I haven't watched it recently, so I don't know if it dates well. But it, it is quite, you know, old movie, And but I did enjoy it as a Christmas one. Die Hard because, come on, you have to have – Die Hard has to be there. And uh, then a, a bit of a schmaltzy one, so Love Actually has to be on the list. Yeah. But when we talk about yeah. our um, recommendations later, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that might spo spoil that Love Actually forever for a lot of people, <laughs> but but not no. right now. But for me, for an expat um, feeling, I've got two, and and one is the first movie my third child ever saw, and the first time he went to the movies, uh, we were in Canada. It was 
it was cold, it was snowy, and we went in and we saw the Polar Express. And the Polar Express really was a movie of its, you know, that was quite groundbreaking when it when it came. Then I would have to say the other one was a movie from 2008 or 2009 and it was A Christmas Carol and not the original Christmas Carol but this one we watched 3D and we watched it in Houston so not as much snow but it was, um, you know, in the lead up to Christmas and uh, it was 3D and it was that whole watching your little tiny children put their hands out, you know, to catch the snow and do all those things. And it was beautiful. So when I see those two, I think of North American Christmas and little children and the excitement of going. And I also think of four children, no money, having to put bags of popcorn into my handbag, you know, to smuggle in because I didn't want to pay pay for popcorn and drinks. We'd take little fruit boxes and did everybody else do that as well? Where I it was like everybody does that. Good, 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 good. Um, you always feel like such a criminal. So yeah, that'd be it for me. But I'm sure we're probably gonna do a little bit more with COVID, a little bit more watching of Christmas movies and series this year, aren't we? I think so. And my daughter loves a bake. She loves, she started a new tra- family tradition since we've lived in Germany where she bakes for a day, a couple of days before Christmas. And then we sit down and watch a Christmas movie together. So, oh, that's she, fantastic. We haven't had the announcement of this year's Christmas movie, but we'll, we'll see. The Jingle Jangle is a new, new movie out on Netflix that a lot of my uh, WhatsApp group recommended yesterday. So we'll see. We'll see yes. we'll throw that one in. And just on that whole expat Christmas experience, I saw that uh, Karen Phillips had written that she's got nearly 200 snowmen, snowman figurines that she's collected from sort of countless different countries. And she was saying they're all wrapped and stored after each December outing. Um, and I was wondering whether other people have done that because I know, you know, we, we, we purchased our first family Christmas tree in Malaysia because that's where you would. Uh, But we've got Christmas decorations from Jakarta. We've got Christmas decorations from Libya, believe believe it or not, and from Qatar, Um, you know, like the whole baubles for your Christmas tree. Um, So I just, I wonder, have you done that? Have you collected decorations in every different country? I don't. And I do, we do have Christmas decorations from every country, although I don't think we have any decorations from Hong Kong, but I always think, oh, I'll just go back or I'll order some online and it'll just feel like (laughs) 20 years I won't remember that we didn't buy them when we were there. I'll just say this is a Hong Kong Christmas decoration. Uh, Exactly. I've lived there. It's not like I'm putting it on my tree and pretending I've, you know, lived somewhere I haven't. Uh, But no, I don't collect anything. And I really wasn't that understanding of Christmas decorations and ornaments until I lived in the US and really just saw what Christmas was. (laughs) And now we moved there with one sort of bag of Christmas decorations. And when I left, we've got, I think we've got three big boxes now. You realize I don't. You realise you just yeah. weren't trying hard enough. It <laughs> wasn't even, and our children said every year, can we go big this Christmas? <laughs> like, dude, we've got to start small to get big. Yeah. We never got big. Yeah. But anyway, 
There we go. Kirsty, Kirsty, Kirsty. In a sliding doors moment. So this this past couple of weeks I've been watching on the socials all the kids. Well, for starters, I didn't know I had so many friends who had children the same age as mine. I don't know what I was doing when I gave birth, but I wasn't paying attention to my friends. But also the kids in my son's baby group, which is my first and only baby group in Sydney, have all been graduating high school in different parts of Australia because they don't all live in Sydney anymore either. And it's just made me think. And I look at them and I look how they, and I look at them going to their formals and I look at their demeanour and all these things. And I just thought, you know, we've talked before about how we might be different if we didn't live an expat life. But I'm just wondering if my children would be different people if they weren't cross-cultural kids. I mean, I know they would be different people, but would they look different? I mean, would my daughter have blue hair (laughs) or an eyebrow slit that she insisted on having I mean what would my sliding door children look and act like would they play different sports would they be musical I mean I don't know it just really struck me as I see all these young adults graduating and and heading off into the world and I just think Wow, what what would that have been like for us? What would my Australian what would my Australian <laughs> kids have been like? Uh, well, I can yeah. qualify on the eyebrow slit. Yes, she'd definitely have one of those because my husband, my because my son uh, came home from his Australian school with an eyebrow slit one weekend where he'd just done it himself, <laughs> and then when I went to the school Christmas party, I realised that everybody had done them all themselves. It was quite the thing. So yes, she'd definitely have one of those. Um, um, and yeah, blue hair, pink hair, it's sort of everywhere now, isn't it? Um, but I know what you mean. And I guess it, it, the, the true answer is that none of us know because we don't know what those sliding doors would have looked like. But I do remember having a moment where, you know, I had taken the kids all around the world and and, and I, I was a netballer growing up. I loved playing netball. It was It's one of my fun family things. My mum was the netball coach. You know, my sister's heavily involved in netball. I really loved it as a women's sport. And I was always devastated that my girls didn't live in countries where there was netball. It just wasn't available to them. And I, I had this real thing that if they were in Australia they'd be playing netball and they would have played at netball every week and, you know, like I would have been involved in that. I was just sure that that's what it would have looked like. And then I can remember sort of coming back and and I realised that two of my best friends who I had played netball with, neither of their daughters played netball and they'd lived they'd lived and been raised in Australia but their daughters just hadn't chosen the same sports that they did and I had a real oh, well, that that probably may, may not have even happened, you know, because you would have been right into it and they wouldn't have. So I think in that way of, of thinking that they're going to do the, all the things that they've missed out on that you had, you, you can't guarantee that that would have happened. But I do think there are anxiety issues in kids that travel of um, – you know, that, that they have those conversations of where do I come from and where is home and, you know, they, they probably, they have things to deal with and conversations that they have, whether it's where they're going to go to university or, you know, what that life looks like. Um, so I think there's that. Um, 
I had my son said to me recently, my youngest son, who has always been very proud and confident of his expat life. He started at his new school in Australia and all the kids were playing a certain sport at, at lunchtime that he can't play and he got very cross with me and said to me, you should have raised me like an Australian. And I was sitting there thinking, <laughs> well, I made sure you had that much pop culture slammed down your throat. You know how to sing Waltzing Matilda. You know both verses of the Australian anthem. Do you know we've watched football? We've done all of these things. You know, like you, you, you have been, we've got a house in Australia that you've been dragged back to every year, you know, for big chunks of time. But his whole thing was, no, um, you should have made me play football. And oh. yes, yes. And we have rugby in Qatar and he hated rugby. And he said, you should have made me go. I said, I tried to make you go. No, but you should have made me. So I can assure you there is one thing I do know that I'm 100% sure of, and that is whatever you've done, you've done it wrong because... <laughs> Oh, I 100% yeah, know that. Yeah. I 100% know that. Because it will be your fault because you made it happen that way and you've done it wrong. And I think it's only every now and again I get little snippets from my kids of, oh, you know, I'm so glad that we did this in our lives or I'm so glad that we got to do this. And you go, yep, I know I've got you. I know, I know that deep down you're going to look back and go, gee, we had an amazing time travelling around and doing all of that because, they, you know, we know that all those kids will eventually settle um, or, or find their their form of settling, whether that's continuing to live an expat life. But, yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? What's your theory? I really don't know. I mean, I, I, I really thought about it. I mean, I, I thought, you know, would... I just looked at these kids and the sports they played and, you know, the, you know, when they leave school, they get awards for different things. And I mean, I don't think my children are award children, but I just, I, I was just thinking, honestly, you know, in a different situation, in a situation where, where it was the same, where you knew what was going to be in two years, three years, four years, five years, would your children have made different choices? Would you and your children have made different choices together? And the answer is, of course, yes, but you don't know. Does different doesn't mean bad and different doesn't mean good. It just means different. So it just it just really I really sort of sat there and looked at my belly button for quite a while, going down a, a sort of a rabbit hole of what ifs, uh, which is unusual for me. So that must be the weather. <laughs> would you would you change anything if you had your time again? Sure, I'd change lots of things, but but not not big things. I don't think. But yeah, I mean, I'd try and do things some things differently, but I. I I mean, the big things, no. I wouldn't change any of the choices we made about where we lived. Yeah. I might change a few little things, but not the big things. Yeah. Okay, Nikki, I've got a question for you. Now, we've talked before about favourite expat locations and we know that so much depends on where you are in your life at the time when we've talked about, you know, where was your favourite place to live. But if a city could love you as much as you loved a city, E.g., like if a city could love you back like you loved it, 
which city was the best for you? And it can be pre-expat as well. So where have you lived that you think, oh, that city gave me something back? This is hard because this is this is like a reason and a season as well. I mean, I can say nearly everywhere I've lived, and I think it's in retrospect because I tried to put my current city in it, and I so so you have to uh, uh, maybe I'll make it a little bit easier. In the you got to take your kids out of it, you've got to take your partner out of it, you've got to decide what was the best for me. Like, where was I living my best life? Yeah, totally. I already was doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But I still think reason and season. I I don't, I mean, where was I living my best life? Where my best job was? Where my, uh, you know, where I could balance all these magical things because I wasn't doing it all myself was Hong Kong. I mean, that, that for me, but that was also my prime years you know that was in, i was there in my 30s and that is you know pretty good time of your life generally um so but then i look at south africa and i was so miserable to go there but for me south africa i mean i did an amazing you know i learned to surf i i was played golf which you know i don't i didn't love but it was i did all these things that i didn't think i'd be able to do I climbed a mountain don't know if I've ever mentioned that but you know like there was just you know it for me was good I was probably the fittest I've ever been when I lived in South Africa I was the healthiest I've been when I lived in South Africa I wasn't the happy like all the time the happiest but for me like and it's got a lot of sunshine 320 days a year a year of sunshine in Durban that is good for me. All those things are good for me. I lived by the ocean. That's good for me. You know, that is my ideal location to live in a warm place by the ocean. Tick, tick, tick. So I don't know. I mean, in, in the US, I was able to have a, you know, play tennis four days a week. You know, probably, look, I'd say it's between South Africa and Hong Kong. If I'm really, you know, dividing it down and and edging it out that that's that would be my top two but for totally different reasons Mm. what about you Kirstie because I I don't know if I answered it to your satisfaction or very effectively so now let me No, you did (laughs) you did look my this question came from uh, and we'll go on to talk about our three favorite things for the week but it came from an episode of this american life and where they'd gone to paris yes and ira glass had said you know the thing about travel is you can you can really love a city but a city can't love you back and i had this real epiphany about my hometown of that you know, I've always never been able to sort of put my finger on what my relationship is with my hometown because I have all these great memories of growing up and, and whatever, but I, I don't think it loved me back, the actual my actual hometown, in that I don't think it it felt that it was the best, I was the best place for it. And does that make sense? I, like I've never been able to really 
put it into words of God because I go back there. You know, I'm going back there on a weekly basis at the moment to see my parents. And so maybe that's why I'm even more philosophical about it because I look at it and I go, I love it here. I can see myself here. But there's something, I don't know if everybody really wants me here, if I'm really right, the right fit for this city. And then I started, or this, this town, and then I sort of started thinking, well, which which location loved me back? Do you know, like which one said, yes, Kirsty, you're going to feel great while you're here and, and, and we want you to be here and whatever. And I thought, is that what the problem is with it, with our traveling life is that we suddenly realize that we can fit in to lots of different places and that we can feel like, oh, this place is great for me. Um, but then we, we always see, oh no, but it doesn't have what, what that place had or it's kind of there's only a little bit of this bit in there and I do like that bit as well that there is maybe there just isn't an ideal place and that's why we keep bouncing and looking for the next place and the next place and the next place. Yeah I think where you say yeah look I I agree and I think the more you know the more you question and the more you, I'm sorry, not the more you know, the more you experience, then the more you know that is out there, then the more you are able to see a nuanced response or approach to that in that, mm. you know, this w- was good for these reasons, but it but it didn't have these things, you know, that, yeah. I, that I really did want, you know, yeah. or, or that were really good for me. So the things that were really good for me in Hong Kong, I didn't have in South Africa, but South Africa was good for me in a different way. Yeah. So uh, that's what I would say about that to, to mm. yeah, to be fair. But you didn't give me a country, so give me one. <laughs> no, I don't have one. That's <laughs> None. Point. None. Yes, because I think they're all, you know, because the question was if a city could love you as much as you loved a city, which city loved you the most? And I, I don't think there was that place, do you know, and even when I think of it now, you know, this year we've we've gone through a winter in um, Australia and I know, Nikki, you're going to just roll your eyes at this one because you're sitting there and you're three degrees. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we we had this moment, my husband and I, where we went, oh, God, we couldn't live here all year round. Do you know, it's just too cold in the winter. We'd need to go somewhere else for a few months or get out of here for, you know, pieces of time. And I thought, oh, here you go again. You've only been back here for this, you know, limited time of sick leave and you're already discounting this place as a long-term idea because you've got already thinking, oh, well, I'd have, I'd have to have somewhere else to go. Do you know, I'd have to, and, you know, and if I sit there and think within Australia, you know, oh, would it be here or would it be there or oh, no, it could be there. So I don't know, maybe I haven't found it yet. Maybe I haven't found the place that's going to love me back. Yeah, good luck with that. Let me know. Yeah. okay Kirsty. uh last question for today's four fat question so i have a question asking for a friend not uh so all those that have had kids that have finished schools in a country that was not your passport country and and just how you went about sorting tertiary education college university whatever you want to call it post school options so theoretically Mm. our school has a couple of international uh, college counsellors, but the majority of kids from our school go somewhere within the EU and the UK, I'm going to say, and the UK, because at the moment the UK is part of the EU, but from December it's not. So 
um, and they're not in other specialized in other countries. So it's a bit of if you want to go there, you should do your own research. But you know, let us know if we can help. So I just wanted was interested in what other people had done and if they'd used the school counselors, if they'd gone out um, and sought counselors in the country that they were looking for their children to go to, or if they engaged a counsellor specifically for their child who just looked across a series of countries and, and sort of did a search for them, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, this is something you should start before halfway through the last year of school, one imagines. Um, and I also said there'd be bonus points if those people that did that um, had students that required learning supports and these sort of things translated into um a tertiary education environment. Now, the reason, now people might say, oh, my goodness, you know, you should start that in grade nine and blah, blah, blah. In Australia, it is so straightforward, right? Like there is, I mean, it's not super straightforward, but in comparison to the minefield that is, say, for example, US colleges where you have to apply to everyone individually and everyone has a different requirement, et cetera, et cetera. In Australia, you do whatever set of exams, you get an ATAR, and you have five spots. I mean, there is pre-acceptance, as we've congratulated uh, your second daughter on before. But, you know, there's a pretty standard process that everyone goes through and there's not huge amounts of surprises. Now, Kirsty, tell me I'm wrong because I haven't lived in Australia for 17 years. That could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So you put, in your, you put in your top three choices. You get your ATAR back at sort of the beginning of, December at the you know end of the school year so you get your results from your exams and your assessments and whatever you get your ATAR which is out of 100 and um, then in January you'll get your notification for the university to see whether you've been accepted so usually you kind of know when your ATAR comes back yes I got 89 so that'll probably get me into a media degree or whatever or um gee whiz, I needed 99 to get into physiotherapy, so I only got 94, so I'm probably not going to get in. That's sort of how it works. And then you're kind of waiting, yeah. Yeah, so whereas other countries have quite very long processes, in Australia they don't sort of want you to write a letter about all the extracurriculars you've done and sort of how you led your Girl Scout troop and then Mm. write an essay about what sort of person you are. It's more basically just on your marks, right? Is that right? Because that's Mm. what I'm always telling people. Like it's so easy. Yeah, and yeah, unless you're doing something like medicine, yeah. where you have to have an interview and all the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just based on your ATAR. Yeah. So where? Yeah. So internationally, it's it's a lot. Seems a lot more complicated and complex in other countries. So, I mean, and this is where it's a great benefit to you if you've gone home and your kids are in Australia and they're in a. It, one, a country where you speak the same language, two, a country where where you understand the process and also where the school is and the universities are all in one spot. I mean, do your kids mm. in schools, I mean, I can't remember having college college counsellor at school, do your, like, guidance counsellors, I mean, did your kids all go and speak to someone about what they might want to do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that starts early. So I think, you know, even from year nine onwards, they're starting to talk about different careers and different streams you might want to go into for the subjects that you're choosing to sort of make sure that you don't stuff up with the subjects that you're choosing. Like if you've said in year nine, I want to be an engineer, uh, or you're thinking that you like, you like those types 
types of roles, yeah. well, then you've got to be doing specific math yeah. to be able to to get there. So, yes, and then in year 12, there's a lot of conversation with a careers counsellor and a career support service person about well what would you do to get that career and the thing I really have to say I'm really impressed with in Australia is they have a lot of they call them vet courses which are vocation education training so Nikki if you said in year 11 do you know I think I really want a job working in real estate um if you were at a school that was you know, onto it, they would say, okay, well, instead of um, doing, you know, for one subject for year 12, you can do a real estate course through the TAFE and you'll be qualified to actually work in real estate by the time you finish school because it's, you know, it's normally a, a TAFE course that you do the year out of school. So, you know, Nikki, when you and I went to school, the people that became travel agents or, you know, those sort of TAFE roles, well, they're all done, it seems now, in year 12. People are getting job ready right, you know, from from year 12 or getting a subject under their under their sort of wing to get started. Um, so, but back to your question, Nikki, with you, because I, I know there would be people who are long-time listeners of the pod who would be saying, but hang on, didn't Nikki say her son was perhaps going to go to university in London? So it's not like you are only just deciding oh, yes. now. You have, you, have, you have been doing some research <laughs> yeah. and whatever. And I'm gathering what's happened is COVID has put a bit of a spanner because you're going to have, he's now going to come with you to Copenhagen. So you now are possibly even looking at university maybe in Copenhagen. I'm not sure. You haven't told me that bit yet. But um, I guess you've got a, a lot, I mean, you, I think you're being way too hard on yourself is what I'm saying because having a child going into university at a time like this when you are an international uh, student, it, it's, you know, it's so much harder, like so much more difficult, requires so much more planning and the heartstrings on it. I cannot imagine what it's like for expats around the world who have had it planned that their children are going to go overseas and have thought, well, that's okay because I'll fly home every few months and, you know, check in or I'll stay, I'll go with them or whatever. And now this is not, this is not planning out how it was meant to. So yes, I'm, um, I, can't, I obviously can't answer the question because I did. I chose specifically to send my children back to Australia because we were not offering the opportunity of going overseas to university. We did not want our children to go to American universities. We could see that they were hanging out with kids that were saying, oh, I might go to St Andrews. I might go, you know, to hit. like they were just pulling countries out of a hat. And we were thinking, we've got four kids. If we end up with four kids at four international universities paying full fees this is going to be a real we we just can't do it so we we went down the option of okay we're going to send you back to australia do you know your final couple of years in australia and then you will mush into university and it and it seems to be working working <laughs> although if you saw my my son's maths exam result today you may reconsider that but <laughs> But that seems to be working. But I guess, Nikki, you've got a lot to to look at. I guess you've got to, A, make a decision what he is going to do first. 
Well, yes and no, I guess, because I really think for him the path is not going to be straightforward or easy. I mean, it's not going to be anyway. Mm. So I what I've, and that's why we've always said to have a gap here. And it's quite interesting because I, I, I put this post last night on Two Fat Expats and I had a lot of feedback from people in the group, both yeah. on the group and in my DMs, where people had a lot uh, to say about the counsellors at their schools. <laughs> Wow. It was really yeah. interesting. I was really interested that it, it became quite, like, I think the things that people shared were great. You know, it was interesting. Some people said, oh, you know, international schools tend to focus on universities in the US. And I think, well, that's absolutely not true at our school. Our school counsellor knows next to nothing about US universities. Uh, so uh, I guess it depends where your international school is and where your passport yeah, I would have said is. ours did. Yeah, yeah, I would have said as did. But I also would add, Nikki, that this is one of those things where you go, oh, I didn't realise that was going to happen if I moved back to Australia. You know, I, I was saying our first moment came with our eldest child when she started telling us where all of her friends were going to university and we were thinking we can't you know, facilitate that for you. And I remember she got back to Australia. She was in year 10 and she rang us and said, the people from St Andrews came and saw us today <laughs> in her school in Australia. And I was like, go away. Stop filling her head with these ideas. Now, for anyone who's sitting there thinking, God, Kirsty, you know, like for someone who's travelled internationally, you've got a very small world happening. We have said to our kids, we pay for the first degree. If you want to go and do a master's or go and go somewhere else and do it, you go right ahead. You go do that. But we'll we'll do these. We're even, well, I, both my girls are doing double degrees, so it's a four-year deal. If they want to go off and head off to America or head off to Scotland or head off to Paris, go for your life. But that's on your dollar, not, not on mine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, I just thought it was interesting, the different levels of support offered in international schools on this kind of thing and how it all works. But I was also very interested in the number of people that said we just did all the research ourselves, and we did lots of visits mm -hmm. and things, which I think, of course, you, you do the research yourself, absolutely, and, the, you know, you get help when, when and where you can. But visiting it's just not possible at the moment. You, there's no. just no way to understand how any of those things would work. And and universities are totally different thing. It's not like a school where you know at the end of every day they're going to be coming home to your house. So if there's problems or issues, and I know that there's an age and, and a stage and they have to, you know, go it alone. But there's still a very, you know, when I was 17, I went to university and I, it was six hours away from home and I lived mm. there and it was great I had a great had a great time but it's just you know it's just a really big thing and I thought you know it's worthwhile having the discussion here today about how that works and how it's working for people during COVID anyway I was really interested in the responses I got I'm still getting them sliding into my DMs yeah do you know it I can understand that too when you're relying on the counsellor because you really want to have someone that really knows your child. And I know at um, at the school my son is currently at, having an interview with a, you know, a head of learning or whatever title he may have had and him saying to me that all staff were instructed that they needed to know five things about each boy. And the idea being that if you know five things about a boy, 
you know the boy, do you know better? That that was the challenge set to all the teaching staff, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, I then went along to the parent teacher night and had the history teacher, as we sat down, say to G&I, so which one of you is American? <laughs> and I thought, hang on, you obviously have you obviously have no idea that this kid is an international kid who's been living overseas. Do you know that he's an expat? Like to think, oh, no, he's obviously just got an American parent to have that accent. So it was like, mm, you don't know five things about this boy because <laughs> if you did. So, that's the first so thing. I can, that's the easiest thing to know. That's right. And so I can empathise with all the parents who have heard things like, oh, your child should really go into uh, engineering or your child should really go into teaching or your child should really go into whatever where you're thinking, I don't, I don't see that. Like I, that's never been a thing. And so if you're, when you're then miles from home and you're trying to choose a university and it has these strengths of, of, you know, being a master of whatever it is, yeah, I could see you would be really disappointed if they were on, if they were giving a, given a bum steer by a counsellor. Yeah, I mean, we I've got a friend here and she's got children who are in grade 12 this year and grade 12 last year, so she's got the double thing. Now, she's American, she's been here for four years and her daughter applied back to universities in the States. So she's American, she had American friends with children the same age, she was pretty much across the process, she thought. And so when the school counsellor said, you know, we can't, we don't do a lot, but here's what I do know, et cetera, et cetera, and offered some support, she thought, okay, no, I'm on top of this. And then when all the university acceptances came out and her daughter, I mean, her daughter goes to a very, very uh, good university in the States, but her daughter missed out on all these things. And then someone said, oh, well, didn't you do this or didn't you do that or didn't you apply for binding early acceptance here and uh, non-binding, blah, blah, blah. And there were just all these options that she just had no idea about because the counsellor at the school also hadn't, um, you know, provided mm. that information. So it was, it was just... I mean, her daughter's very happy at, at university and it's, it's all fine, but her sec, her, she's got another daughter who's going in the coming year and she is so much more on top of everything only because she'd been to that experience herself. So, hmm. you know, it just, it, it's luck of the draw, it's everything. I mean, I tend to think, I know it seems so important at the time, but at the end of the day, <laughs> if your child goes to a university, then, you know, Mm. <laughs> they're getting a degree yay <laughs> um and, and i think nikki it it really is dependent on where you're going to be living because if you are american you know the conversation isn't so much about where you went to school it's about where you went to university and if you're yeah. if you're australian th there's no, there's not really a conversation about where you went to university absolutely no none. one cares when none. you went to university and there is what, do you, what degree did you do yeah. what degree did you do maybe yeah. maybe but but nothing about where was it no no one cares so yeah it, i i guess for for you in particular answering your question if you know where um, your son's going to end up living, that that then answers a lot of questions. But if it's a magical question, yeah. isn't it? But if you don't know, then the questions remain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Anyway, <laughs> Kirsty. Okay. I saw a video on the internet this week. <laughs> da, da, da. What were you doing in the video? I was squatting and I was filming it and then I shared it. So I'm working on 66 squats a day and I'm actually, I'm, I, I'm onto it. I don't want to get too excited because I've said it before, but it is, it is, does seem, I do seem to be forming a habit and I have taken my little videos and I will share one, you know, weekly clip of it to show you. I have seen you on the Peloton too, Nikki, like you seem to yeah. be doing your thing as well. <laughs> I'm not as good. I'm not every day, I do have to admit, but I am more often. And thank you to my friend Mary who always sends me reminders about possible live classes to do. Okay. <laughs> tell me about some of your favourite things this week. What are your three favourite things? Well, Kirsty, one of my favourite things, which I have read a long time ago because it's from 2013, uh, it's about love actually. Oh. Now, when we were having the discussion in the group yesterday about, uh, you know, what are your favourite holiday movies, Love Actually or Christmas movies, Love Actually came up a lot, obviously, because it's it's one of the the uh, things. Someone said, do you want me to stop you loving Love Actually forever? Read this. Anyway, it's a, it's a Jezebel article from Lindy West from 2013. And basically it is so funny. You'll die laughing. You may not um end up not loving love actually because I, I can still watch it after I've read it but it just shows you a lot of issues with the movie itself. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have read this. I have read this. I know what you mean. And I agree. And don't you think I think that's the weird thing about Love Actually. It's one of those movies that yeah you loved at the time and you do watch later and you go Oh wow, this is bad. Like I remember the first I remember the first time, even with the sex scenes, I'm watching it with the kids going, I can't remember it being so graphic that they were making a porno. Um and I can't and you know, I can't remember that that is so sexist or that, you know, we're encouraging oh, Yeah, like so bad. It is so sexist. Yes. Yes. It is so sexy. Anyway, it was one of my favourite things because I, I did click it open yesterday and I read it again and almost tears of laughter because yes, it is really quite yes. funny. It's really great. Just the opening and it's very well written and it's worth sort of yes. five to ten minutes of your time having a look. So I'll put the link in the show notes. So that's one of my favourite things. One of my favourite podcasts. So... One of my favourite podcasts announced yesterday that it's coming to an end. The High Low. The High Low. Yes, I know. So it was just like, so earlier this year, like one of my favourite Friday political podcasts, which were two women pollsters, one Republican and one Democrat, finished. Yes. And I was so sad. It was really weird because on Fridays when I, you know, used to download all my Friday podcasts because that's a big day on Fridays in my podcast list. I used to think, you know, what happens? Like I, with TV shows, you get more closure because, you know, they announce it's being cut or whatever and there's some articles about it and you understand why, you know, it's funding or the star wanted to make other things. Or, But with podcasts, they don't really they don't really tell you. So when I heard it, when I heard them say, you know, the high low is finishing, um, I messaged a friend who is a writer who lives here and um I recommended the podcast to her and she started listening. So, you know, I just, it's just 
so sad. Mm. I'm just, I'm just so sad about it. And and it's not. I mean, the highlights. So they're two journalists. They're in their well, thirty and thirty-two. So theoretically, nearly twenty years younger than me. So it's a totally different generational perspective on things and I don't and I really enjoy their conversation their banter and their point of view because sometimes I'll think oh yeah that's totally what I think you know I'm not so out of the loop yeah and then other times I think oh yeah no I hadn't thought about it that way good point so you know which happens with everything but I just do you look for a replacement when you lose one of your favorite podcasts or do you just let it go or how does it work? Yes. I, just, I was just very put out yesterday. I think people do go look for a replacement. That's how I knew the high-low because I haven't listened to the high-low for a little while. It is a fantastic podcast. I agree with everything you've said totally. Um, but I saw my friend Lana had put a call out on the Chats 10 Looks 3 group saying, it's exactly what you've just said, I am devastated you know I got to the end of the podcast and they said it was to be no more and what do I do what do I listen to where do I go and you know people were offering things and then I felt sorry for some of the people that they offered because they'd say oh well you could try this it's really nowhere near as good or nowhere near at that (laughs) level but you know, it is two women talking. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to throw two fat experts in there. That's two women talking. <laughs> so, I, th- yeah, I don't know. But I, I guess maybe one of the things that's happened to me this week, maybe if we mush up our favourite three a bit because this was in mine, was my sister, I was on the phone to my sister. I do tend to have big, lengthy car ride conversations with my sister where we'll be on the phone for an hour just talking. And we were t- I was talking about my parents have moved into a, a unit, a group of six, where they sit in the window and because they've lived out on a property, you know, for a long time and now they've it's moved got, into town to and they've the really window. not been able to see anything but birds and garden out the window and now they see people coming and going. And you can be midstream of a conversation and my mother will say, oh, Ronnie's forgotten his bag. And you'll go, great, thanks, thanks for that. And then it'll be, oh, there she goes again. Whoa, she's in a blue car this time. And it really is just constant, you know, a running commentary of what's happening out the window. And my sister said to me, she was talking away, and she said, "Um, yeah, it's really lazy conversation. And I said, oh, my God, what a brilliant term. I love that, lazy conversation. She said, well, it's like gossip. Gossip is lazy conversation. And I said, oh, I really like that. I'm going to write that down. And she said, oh, no, I I can't claim it. That That's from Ladies We Need to Talk. It was from an episode they did on something about that. Yeah. Now, she, my sister has... I think probably four times in the last couple of months said to me, oh, did you listen to this episode on Ladies need to, ladies, We Need to Talk? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't listened to them for a while. Well, once I hung up from her, I then clicked on Ladies, We Need to Talk and ran through three episodes all in a row and they were all brilliant. And I thought, oh, I need to go back to this. So yes. maybe 
maybe it's not so matter a matter of replacing maybe it's a matter of you go back to what you once loved whether it's this american life or you know those those initial ones nikki that we just loved at the beginning that then we got interrupted you know conversations i loved conversations with richard feidler oh, i mean conversations you can find a good conversations episode so yeah. anytime you want anytime yeah. i don't have a podcast to listen to i just go into conversations and i think oh i'll just listen to something here Nikki, I have to tell you, this episode of Ladies We Need to Talk, go and listen to um, Vaginas and they do a whole story, a whole episode on vaginas. Now, they point out at the beginning, we're not talking vulvas because we've done vulvas, now we're doing vaginas. (laughs) And you think, right. And then they explain that, you know, the, the vagina is just the tunnel. But they start talking to this woman who I think is about... I don't know, they never really say her age, but you, you get a vibe that she's she's in her 40s, maybe even her 50s. And she starts talking about how it was so painful to use tampons and like excruciating and then all the different gynecologists who all happened to be men that she went to and that, you know, that she just got the runaround of all these different things of uh, maybe you've got endometriosis, maybe, you know, people telling her it was all in her head, um, the whole story after story after story we're just going oh my goodness what is wrong with this woman it affected everything in her life she wasn't able to have children it affected relationships the whole thing and then you find out what it is and I am not going to ruin the episode I'm going to say go and listen to it because when you find out what it is you will stop in your tracks and go oh my goodness Uh, I promise come back and talk to me later and everybody else can do the same um, because I don't want to ruin it because it was just such a great episode. Mm. So that wasn't in your three favourite things, but we will put the link to that in the show notes. I think it is. It is. It's called The Secret Life of Vaginas um, and it is. it was going to be my three favourite things. Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. Okay. (laughs) No, 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 that's good. No, 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 that's fine. The other thing this week that came up again that I saw somewhere and I thought, you know, I'm just going to mention it because – I do not, but I don't do it all the time, and maybe some people don't know it, is to capitalise the first letter of words in your hashtags. So I'm a hashtag, hashtag overuser all the time. I'm always hashtagging things. Yeah. So the thing about capitalising the first letter of each word in your hashtag is it's friendlier for screen readers. So people that can't read, that are having things read to them, it will, oh, if yes. you hashtag the capital letters, it will read them as separate words. If you don't hashtag the capital letters, it doesn't read them as separate words. Also, for people that have dyslexia or cognitive disabilities, the ability to read a hashtag is really compromised when there's no capital letters in the hashtag. So anyway, I just thought in a society where we're becoming more and more aware of the things that we post on social media and a lot of people when they post photos uh, put explanations of what's in the photo, et cetera, so that it can be enjoyed by a whole range, a wider range of people, that capitalising your hashtags is a good thing to remember. And there's just a bit of an article about it um, from Make Your Hashtags. It's called Make Your Hashtags Accessible. So we can put that in the link That's just for people to have a look. Yep. Because I just thought, you know, I should do it more often and, you know, you see yourself when you look at a hashtag and you look at it and you look at it. And I know that's meant to be part of the fun of it. Oh, here's a really long sentence and you're meant to be able to work out how to read it. But there are, for people like me, that's fun. That's a game. But for other people, it's just not ever going to be accessible. So 
<laughs> anyway, that's just a bit, a bit of an announcement. Anyway, Kirsty, what are your three favourite things? Nikki, everyone's talking about the crown, so I just I, I don't want to wire on it about anymore, but I have been down the rabbit hole of going back and, you know, looking at everything again. And I did see on uh, YouTube the Crown cast talking about season four and I was really struck by the genuine sadness they had about the end of it and and that the actors knew and are told, you know, you get two seasons and then we move on with someone else and how that feels when you're when you know you're handing over that character to someone else to go and have their way with it um but i it, olivia coleman i think is definitely over it because she she said she's really looking forward to a much meatier role than what she's done so interestingly on that um I, you know, a lot of people didn't like season three of The Crown or didn't didn't yes. like it as much. And listening to people talk about The Crown recently in a lot of podcasts, I think it's because they struggled with the transition to Olivia Coleman mm. as the queen and now mm. they're loving her. So it's just mm. about change. It's about mm. settling in. It's about, you know, change being a constant expat life, blah, blah. It all fits yeah. together. But people yes. didn't love it as much because of the change of of actors and, and characters. So I'll be interested to see about how that works this time. But, yeah, I loved, I loved that. I'm, I'm consuming all Crown things, the Crown, the series, yeah. the podcasts, and, and all the there's – a, there's a great series of, of – um, videos on youtube of of the crown cast yeah i even went back and watched diana in her own words i watched that yesterday <laughs> as well which is which is the one with all the interviews of her with andrew morton and it's what the actress who plays diana it's the only thing she watched to uh in her research for diana because it was the actual story that's coming straight out of her mouth and you know that it is her story um and that that you know, it's so, it, yeah. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about The Crown a lot, so I will move on because I, I have noticed that everybody's giving a little chat about The Crown. So I think people can people can probably get it from other sources. Um, but I loved Nikki. This American Life is yes, doing a yeah, the retrospective yes. with their 25-year anniversary. And I absolutely loved it because I put this in the show notes and then someone in our yes. Two Fat Expats Facebook group raised it and I thought, these are our people. These are so <laughs> our people. Because, Nikki, I have talked many times about how This American Life for me was a radio thing before it was a podcast thing where I would sit in the car and not be able to get out of the car because I had to listen to Act 3 and Act 4 because I was so obsessed with Ira Glass and This American Life. But my big one was David Sedaris. I've been a Sedaris fan. I loved David Rakoff, who I think now he must have died back in 2012. He's just been gone for, it feels like, way too long. But um, they did an episode in 2000 called Americans in Paris. And it was just so lovely yeah. in so many ways. But to hear Sedaris to be taken back to a time when Sedaris was a smoker and it was also quaint that he'd gone there with his boyfriend, Hugh. It's his relationship with Ira Glass when they're walking through the streets, you know, when Ira Glass does little side notes into the microphone of 
uh, a note for our listeners, you know, don't don't eat the butter if you go to David's house, like all those things. But I was really interested. I wanted them to go back and speak to Janet, who was an African-American living in Paris. And she talked about how French white people are different than American white people. Yeah. And she she says in the final act, it's not that just we feel free of the burden of race because we're still black. It's not the centre of my identity and it's not the first thing people relate to. And I just wondered 25 years or 20 years on, um, would she still feel the same? It, is it still like that? Um, you know, because there has been even a larger resurgence of immigration in Paris. And this was all before Je Suis Charlie. Um, and I think I'd just love to hear her perspective now, I wonder. Yeah. And so that's it, Nikki. I know you'd watch Chicago 7 and I wanted to agree with you that it's absolutely fabulous. I loved it. Um, and I think that's it for this week. That's it for this week. Well, Kirsty, lovely chat. Enjoy your upcoming 40-degree days. It has been lovely to see your face. The towel's gone down while we've been talking. <laughs> the hair's out. The smile's up. I feel like I feel like you're on the you're on the oh, up. Thank you so much, Kirsty. I'll head off to work today with a smile on my face. <laughs> okay. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. 